0: The Business of Being Brilliant, where I explore the human side of work. I talk to business leaders, academics, authors, workplace experts, and other professionals about when they've worked at their best and when they floundered. We find out how to change organisations for the better so that everyone can flourish. I'm your host, Helen Beedham, organisational expert, speaker, and author of the business book, The Future of Time. How Reworking Time Can Help You Boost Productivity, Diversity and Well-Being. The book launches on the 28th of February. In this first series, my guests and I delve into the question of how we manage our time at work. From coping with time pressure to reclaiming time for the things that really matter, join us for a dose of honesty and positivity to help you and your organisation succeed. You can catch the podcast on all major podcasting platforms, on YouTube, and on my website at helenbeedham.com, where you'll also find the show notes. I'd love to hear your views too. You can find me on LinkedIn and Instagram at Helen J. Beedham and on Twitter at Helen Beedham. Now, let's crack on with this week's episode. Welcome to episode four of the business of being brilliant, which is going out on Monday, the 21st of February. I'm recording this on Thursday, the 17th of February. And as they say on the great British bake off this week has been cake week. The combination of school, half-term Valentine's day, a big birthday and an imminent book launch has given our household a few reasons to celebrate and I've eaten more cake in the last few days than I really ought to admit. What have you been indulging in this week? Do let me know and help me feel better. (laughs) With our usual routines a bit up in the air, I've found it harder to carve out time to read this week, but I'm finally getting absorbed into No Filter by Sarah Fryer, which is book seven of my Reclaim Time to Read 2022 Reading Challenge. I'm enjoying the insider's story of Silicon Valley ambition and competition and how the author charts Instagram's growth from a handful of people in a borrowed workspace to selling out to Facebook for $1 billion. Next week's read is the novel The Dinner by the Dutch writer Herman Koch. It's billed as a darkly disturbing tale of family life. I love the cover photo of a bright red lobster unadorned on a plate. It definitely encouraged me to pick the book up and find out more. All of the books I'm reading are on my website at helenbedhamcom forward slash 2022 reading challenge. So do join me and let me know which book you're reading too. When the week is as busy as this, I'm finding it helps to read for 10 to 15 minutes early in the day, which does feel counterintuitive when I'm itching to crack on with my work, and I read again briefly after lunch. I also snatch odd minutes of reading time when I'm out and about, waiting for appointments, on the station platform, even in the car wash. It reminds me of some team awards known as the Jafters that were bestowed on our team many years ago in my consulting days, where each colleague was given two awards, one serious and another tongue-in-cheek to appreciate their contributions and their unique qualities. My tongue-in-cheek award was most likely to read whilst walking. At the time, I was amazed to learn that that was how colleagues saw me, but now I can see why. My two launch celebrations for the future of time take place this week, with my business book officially landing next Monday, the 28th of February. I've been choosing canapes putting playlists together and not quite getting around to drafting my speeches. Organising a party feels like a very rusty muscle that I haven't used in a long time. I've also been signing and wrapping complimentary copies of The Future of Time to send to the brilliant business leaders and experts who have kindly endorsed the book. You can read their reviews at www.thefutureoftime.co.uk and find out why they enjoyed it. If you want to win a free signed copy, don't forget my Spot the Book giveaway. Keep an eye out for the future of time appearing in your local bookshop. Take a photo, tag me and use the hashtag thefutureoftime and post it on social media by Friday the 18th of March to go into the draw. And you can nab your own Kindle edition for just 99p on launch day so head over to Amazon next Monday, the 28th of February, and scoop up the book for the special launch price. It reverts to £7.99 the next day on the 1st of March, which is when the paperback launches. And if you're mulling over whether to buy the paperback edition, then take a look at my Meet the Book 5-minute video on my website and my YouTube channel for a look inside as I show you round. And if you're battling time pressure or heavy workloads in your organisation, then you can find out how to create healthier, more productive ways of working across teams and whole businesses at my live webinar that's coming up on Wednesday, the 16th of March at midday. I'll be sharing three ways to get reworking time on your business agenda, how to role model time-intelligent leadership and how to manage working time successfully across a team. There are just 20 places available, so if you're interested, book your place now. The link is in the show notes at helenbeadham.com forward slash podcast. Tickets are £25 a head, and you'll gain some great tools and tips for managing your own time and fixing the time culture where you work. Right, time to hear from this week's guest, who lives and breathes curiosity, and whose reading habit far surpasses mine. Hi, this week I'm talking to Sunhee Park. Sunhee is a lawyer working in the international capital markets. She has worked for a law firm, an investment bank, and a development bank. And outside of her day job, she is the founder of the East Asian Lawyers Organisation, which supports East Asians working in the legal sector. And she's also a trustee on the board of CSIS, a public sector charity. Sunhee studied at Cambridge University, Iha University in Seoul, and Sophia University in Tokyo. And she speaks not one, but four languages, English, Arabic, Korean, and Mandarin. Welcome to the business of being brilliant,
1: Sunhee. Thank you very much for having me, Helen. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Great. So first question is, did you learn all four languages as a young child, or are they language skills you've gained during your career?
1: Well, that's an easy one, because my dad was a diplomat. So that should explain a lot of things in terms of my background. So I've moved around, I've lived uh, all around the world. This is how I managed to meet so many people from diverse backgrounds from a very young age and come across different cultures, different languages. And I discovered that I actually like languages. Not that I had a choice when it came to Mandarin or Arabic because despite the fact that for Arabic, despite the fact that I was in an American school, the government of Kuwait mandated that everyone had to learn Arabic. And so that's when I started. And then for Mandarin, it's because I managed to live in Taiwan, Hong Kong, and Beijing. So those are the places where I picked up and practiced my Mandarin. So it's been really exciting. Yeah, that's fantastic.
0: I share the love of languages, but I've only managed three, including English, not four, and they're very rusty. So I'm impressed you've used them and kept them up so well. And to let our listeners know a little bit more about you... What three words would you choose to describe
1: yourself? Number one, omnivore. Number two, resilient. And number three, tolerant. So I'll start with the last one. Tolerance, I think, comes from, like I said, having lived around the world, coming across all kinds of cultures, religions, different people that has allowed me to have a mindset which is very accepting of everyone that I've come across. Related to that is the first one, omnivore, in terms of... The kind of knowledge that I seek, I don't think there are specific areas. I'm interested in learning about everything. So it's a great strain on my time. But on the other hand, it's something that I still enjoy doing. And this is one of the things that I find really curious when I interview people for a job and I say, what are some of your strengths and weaknesses? And when people say the, the very banded about term, I have a growth mindset, A lot of people can't seem to explain what that is. They like to think that they have a growth mindset, but they can't really explain how it is that they show that. So for me, I definitely still read a lot. And during the pandemic, during the lockdown, I put up my reading volume about tenfold, I think, just because you can't really go anywhere. And so I've enjoyed reading a lot more than I've been doing other things. So if I'm on the move, if I'm commuting, then I would listen to a lot of podcasts, for example. But because commuting time has been completely cut down to zero, then I've been reading more. And then the second element, resilience. Well, that comes, again, from my background of moving schools every six months to every three years on average and just being pulled from one place to another, pulled out of school in the middle of school year, put into a different school in the middle of a school year. And that's really built up my ability to adapt. That's wonderful listening to that
0: and great that there's been a small silver lining through the last 12-18 months of you enjoying reading so much more and, and more widely. That's wonderful. And thinking about your work life and your career to date, obviously for many of us, our work lives have looked quite different for the last... 12, 18 months because of the pandemic, but thinking back longer term, when would you say you have flourished most in your career? And was there something or someone in particular that made
1: that happen? There were many times when I've been in fortunate places where I've done very, very well. But when I look back on those circumstances, it's because of the right combination of people at the right time. And why I've also discovered that That is something that you don't really have control over as such, because if you're new in an organization, you are dependent on people who are already there. I mean, I'm sure you have a little bit more control if you're in a position to hire people into your team. That's a little bit different. But on the whole, a lot of people have to make do with those who are already in the teams that they are placed into. So it's a matter of luck, really, whether you have the right combination of people who are open-minded enough to get on with everybody else in the team. But if you happen to have one rotten apple, I've discovered that that is very damaging. And it really surprised me at the speed at which the cohesiveness of a team can be damaged by one person in a team, even if that team had gelled well together before. So that's been interesting.
0: It's so true how you can have a comfortable dynamic or a familiar dynamic as a team, and it just takes one change for that to really make itself felt positively or otherwise in lots of different ways. And you almost have to restart that whole subtle negotiating, understanding, getting to know each other, the whole team development process almost goes back and starts from scratch again and has there ever been a particular piece of advice that someone has given you that's helped you in your career or or in life generally to make the most of opportunities or to go out and achieve the things you're
1: hoping to achieve in terms of specific career advice nothing comes to mind only because i think this has to do with the general consensus that i think that there is amongst people of color who've tried to work in the city or elsewhere that there are fewer opportunities for sponsorship and for mentorship for people of color. And I've discovered that over nearly 25 years of working in the city, that is true, not just to me personally, but also across the board when I look at my friends and colleagues. And so nothing in particular when it comes to specific legal advice that I've received for my legal career, But a lot of things that I've learned and implemented throughout my life are things that I learned when I was doing a sales job. So as you may know, Cambridge has very long summer holidays and Margaret Thatcher made it impossible for foreign students to work in this country. So even if you want a temporary bar job or pub job, you can't get it because you have to be able to prove that you can do something that nobody else in the country mm-hmm. can do. And that's a pretty high bar if you want to work as a serving capacity in a restaurant or a pub. So that was impossible. But there was an arrangement with the United States, and I don't know whether they it still exists, but if you're a full-time student in the UK, you could go over to the US and have a summer job. I picked a sales job because that looked the most interesting because you were completely dependent on your commission. You didn't get any fixed income whatsoever. And I thought, well, okay, sure, it's risky, but it's worth a a try. They sent you to a week of sales school. And a lot of things that I picked up are things that I learned from that sales school. So things like jump out of bed, look at yourself in the mirror, and then say to yourself, you good-looking thing, don't you ever die, and wink. And the hilarity of that just makes you laugh out loud. And that is such a good way to set up for the day, right? To have an opportunity like that, to laugh at yourself, to laugh at the whole situation, you know? So that's one of the things. That's wonderful. And another thing that's really kept me going is a t-shirt that I won for one particular week where I did great sales. And I still have the t-shirt and it says, the race is not always to the swift but to the one who keeps on running. Who is there to judge What the race is, how long the race is, it's you. It's all up to you, right? What wonderful anecdotes.
0: I love the one of getting up in the morning and saying that to yourself. That's a smile on my face just thinking about it. If I might try it. We're recording this just before Christmas at the moment. So if the Christmas festivities and the planning get too much, I might take a leaf out of your book and ease myself through to the new year that way. That's wonderful. And it's amazing, isn't it, how much even experiences very early in our career can take root and help shape our approach and our mindset later on. Something you said earlier about the luck that falls into your lap when you join a new organisation in terms of the colleagues you have and the the team spirit you have. That really struck a chord with me. I was very fortunate to land into a wonderful consulting organisation with a, a fantastic set of colleagues and mentors who just helped me so much in my career there and later. But I'm struck by what you're also saying about some of the barriers you've experienced to getting on and flourishing in your career. It sounds like in part that has prompted you to set up uh, and found the East Asian Lawyers Organization to help other people who might be struggling without mentors or getting time with senior people to help them progress. Is that right?
1: Yes, indeed. Because again... We're very prone to sweeping everybody into the same bucket. So now one of the hot topics of conversation is whether to even use the term BAME at all, right? Because we're not a uniform entity of BAME and non-BAME, right? Within BAME, there's all sorts. Just like within non-BAME, there are all kinds of people from different backgrounds too. So my fundamental philosophy has always been treat people like a person rather than with sweeping generalizations, with stereotypes and preconceptions as to how they should be and how they should behave. And so these are the kind of things which is really difficult to deal with because you won't come across that many cases in your career. Maybe on the street, that's a different matter, right? But in your career, you will not come across that many people who are racist or sexist to your face. So a lot of decisions are taking place behind closed doors, and you don't know what's being said when it comes to promotions, bonuses, or even hiring or firing decisions, right? Mm -hmm. These conversations you are not privy to. So you cannot point that out and say, oh, they're being racist or sexist or homophobic or whatever it is, right? It's very difficult to say and challenge that. So this is why it's taken a long time for me to realize that all these problems that we face, I'm talking about now, have been endemic, because otherwise, how else can you explain the lack of people of colour in senior roles in British society? And I'm not just talking about the legal sector, but if we look more broadly in finance or academia or anywhere, there's very, very few, and in particular, when it comes to East Asians. So again, East Asian is a term that is not widely used so far, I don't think but it's a term that I'm trying to popularize just because when I first came to the country, I was surprised to find that the term Asian doesn't always refer to Pan-Asian. It is in particular relating to South Asians, people from the Indian subcontinent. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know why it's not used more widely, but in contrast to South Asians, there are other Asians as well. And this is why I'm starting to use the term East Asian. Technically, It is supposed to be East and Southeast Asians, right? Because again, Asia is a very big place. (laughs) But East and Southeast Asian is a little bit too much of a mouthful, which is why I've truncated that to East Asian. And again, there's controversy there as well, whether that's appropriate. But at least if you don't have a label, if you don't have a term, then you're not in the conversation at all. Mm. And that's what I'm trying to foster, to try to get East Asians and Southeast Asians into the conversation, so the thing that I've struck me most about setting up ELO, East Asian Lawyers Organization, is that a lot of people, a lot of kids have said to me, the younger lawyers have said to me, when we look up our organization, there are well, hardly any role models that they can look up to. And that was the case for me as well in my career. So when I first started off in a magic law firm, I didn't think that there was a diversity issue because my intake was pretty diverse. Mm-hmm. But what I failed to do was to actually look up at the partnership level, because there weren't many people of colour at all, and certainly no East Asians, not in London anyway. So very difficult to identify with somebody and say, ah, that's somebody that I want to aspire to be like, which maybe put on a lot of mental strain on people without actually a lot of people realising that.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely fascinating to hear and particularly what you were saying at the beginning about people leaping to stereotypes and and not taking the time to ask and appreciate and understand individuals' identity and, and background and preferences. And this is something I write about in The Future of Time about how our time in the workplace is so task focused that what's being lost is time to recognize individuals, to value individuals, And all those inclusive behaviours that drive better experiences for people in the workplace, like inquiry, empathy, listening, actually putting assumptions and and mental models on hold and remaining curious and taking time to explore that curiosity. I think that's all part of what you've described in this conversation already as having a real love of learning and a growth mindset. It, It doesn't just apply to the task, but it applies to the people we interact with? What is it about this person and their experiences that might be very different to mine? What can I learn by asking them about it? So it's really interesting to hear your perspective on that. And talking about our time culture, this is something I I describe in the book, that how our time culture in our world of work is quite broken because we just focused on cramming more into our work days. Everything is urgent. We have little time for downtime and and for our health and for nurturing social bonds and and valuing individuals. And I describe a set of norms that we typically see at work. And if I were to describe what a time culture is, for somebody for whom that might be a new phrase, it's about our collective attitudes and values and behaviours about how we spend our time at work and how we value it. And I just wonder what time cultures you've experienced When you're working, what have you noticed about what we do with our time, how we value it and how we spend it in the workplace?
1: Over the two and a half decades in the city, I think this has changed a lot from when I first started work. So when I started as a junior lawyer, the expectation was that you would be hanging around in the office until midnight. If you left the office before 11, 12 o'clock at night, that was a good day. And that's because you were tethered to a landline. You actually had to sit at a fax machine to send out to a distribution list all the things that you had to send out. And then it evolved to actually having a print room doing that for you. And then you receiving these faxes by email instead. And then you being able to actually do the editing yourself rather than actually going to the printers, maybe. On the other hand, things have gotten worse because of technological advances that we've gone through as well. So everything is accessible so easily and so quickly, which is why your clients expect you to respond as soon as they send an email or a message by any other means immediately just because they are online. But I think there has been a definite attitude shift even before COVID in terms of not bothering people outside of the core working hours. But still, I think it depends on the people that you have who are sending you these requests. And even though they may not look at your response immediately, they do expect you to respond immediately. And that has always been my experience. And I think that has gotten worse during the pandemic because everyone knows that you're stuck at home. So why are you not responding? Yes. So I think because of the huge emphasis on trying to take care of your mental health, this has, again, come to the fore in terms of not expecting people to be on call all the time. But for me personally, I think going to the office has been healthier just because I made sure that I went to the gym at least three times a week mm-hmm. for a Pilates or a yoga course, a, a cardio uh, class. Whereas during the lockdown, I basically done nothing. I thought I might actually do a little bit more yoga or Pilates. That really hasn't happened for me just because I had this thing of just one more email, just one more message. I'll just respond to this and I'll do it. And I just never got around to actually taking care of myself. Yeah. So I think my mental health in some ways improved because I was doing other things like doing more reading. But on the other hand, my physical health declined yeah. just because I was at my desk a lot more than I would have done if I'd been in the office.
0: Yes. So much more sedentary, even just getting up and getting to the station or walking from the station to your office, it's it's incredible how many more steps in a day you take when you are going to a place of work versus working from home. It's so true. And I know so many people have experienced similar pressures around, well, you're working from home, so we know you're available. Can't you answer this demand or request now? And it's been a real challenge Not just for us as individuals, but I think for organizations to shape new and healthy habits about how we spend our our working time. Consciously or unconsciously, and this is something I say in the book, I think employers have been letting employees take on this burden of time buffering, which is letting our boundaries, our time boundaries, keep extending to keep up with the volume of work. And I definitely think there's a role that organisations and employers can do to proactively and and more energetically encourage certain ways of working that put healthier boundaries around things, to let people pick up their physical exercise again and to switch off mentally and, and to spend time recharging in whatever way works for them. What do you hear other people say that they're concerned about or want to change? in our world of work today?
1: Well, in our world of work, I think we're in a huge time of shifting our values and our ways, just because we have more capacity to choose. And in a lot of ways, it's great that we have the choice for some people to work from home or to go into the office. But in other ways, that's thrown in more complexities in terms of keeping a team cohesive, for example. And so there is no one-size-fits-all anymore. And for an organization to figure out what works best for them is going to be a very tough challenge.
0: I think it's going to place quite a big responsibility on managers to be asking those questions much more often, to be understanding their individual team members' situations Mm -hmm. and ambitions and concerns much more to be having more of those conversations than perhaps they were before. Because otherwise, how can one management team know what's going to work for everybody in their workforce? And I think it's part of the shifting role of managers from being work supervisors and project managers to acting much more as coaches and people managers, understanding what's helping people in their career today and to do their job well and what's getting in the way of that and coming back to you personally and your time how do you organize your time at work are there certain time habits that work for you or where do things fall over if they fall over and what tip might you share with people listening Because we were just saying before we came on air how you have worked full time for the duration of your career to date and had a family and that inevitably (laughs) means you have had some wrestling and juggling of time along the way. So just to add that little bit of
1: background in about you before you answer. So it's been a journey depending on the other things that were going on in my life. Obviously, I had very little flexibility when my kids were young. My arrangement has always been that I would be able to work late, one day a week, but for four days, I was the primary caregiver for my children who took over from the nanny. So that lasted for quite a few years. And now that my kids, one's out the door, the other one's almost out the door. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) That is no longer an issue. But when I used to go into the office, work-life balance was a little bit better, like I said. Sure, my workday revolved around what time zones I was dealing with. But aside from that, I made sure that I could fit in two or three sessions of going to the gym, whereas that completely failed during lockdown, working from home. It's going to take a conscious effort because I think, like a lot of people, I thought all of this would be over by the year end this year. Because of Omicron, this seems to be going on and on, and who knows what other variants they're going to be and what other measures are going to be taken. In the absence of the pandemic dying down completely and us being able to resume our lives, I think each of us as individuals have to take responsibility for our own health, mental and physical, and decide for ourselves what works best. For me, I was in a temporary mode thinking that when we shut down in March of last year, in 2020, nobody had any idea that it was going to go on for this long, that we'd be working from home for that long. Mm -hmm. And so I just didn't plan in terms of this is how my life should look like, this is what my day should look like. I found myself working, turning on my computer on around 9 o'clock and then switching off at around 10 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. So there's very little time to fit anything else in between. So I think you have to make a conscious effort to make sure that you are okay to live your life and have your day the way that you have it. And it does take effort. That's such a great
0: point, Sanhi, about how easy it is for us to just fall into habits around how we spend our time between the moment we wake up and the moment we go to bed. And, and we don't always think that often about, is that really the best way? Or the way I want to be spending my time and I think we all hoped the pandemic would be over a a lot quicker than obviously it has been so it's interesting to hear you say that as it's gone on it's prompted you to be much more thoughtful and intentional about how you're going to spend your time each day that's something definitely I have come to do in recent months as well and prioritizing time for A short run for me, I do that every day in the morning. It gets me up and and fresh air and functioning. But also 10 minutes reading here and there. It's in the middle of the day, reading breaks or do 10 minutes, 15 minutes of journaling about anything and everything, an idea at work I'm working on or a reflection about the day I've had. And those things, they're different for each of us, aren't they? But it's really important we know what are those things that give us mental rest and breathing space and and recharges cognitively as well, because it is so important. It's great to hear how you manage that. Looking further ahead, if we were to press fast forward uh, a few years from now, what future ambition, as yet unfilled, would you like to say you've achieved?
1: So when I look back to my career to date, I think a lot of things have been around my personal sense of what I can do what kind of deals that I want to do, practical things. Whereas now that I've become older, I'm more conscious of making a difference, making an impact on spring chickens. And so again, it goes back to, in some ways, the the role that I have with the East Asian Lawyers Organization, but also taking an interest in, being more proactive with the junior members of of my profession that I come across or just young people in general. So before the lockdown, I used to go into schools and talk about the legal profession to 13, 14, 15 year olds. And so that's the kind of stuff that I took a lot of pleasure in doing. And I think I do want to be more conscious and more intentional about making an impact on
0: people's lives. That's wonderful. And, and I'm sure you, you'll achieve a great deal in that space. You're doing so much already to help others in their careers. And so on to the last two questions that I, I ask everybody on the podcast. The first one is what resource, whether that's a book or a video or podcast or, or film, would you recommend to others and why?
1: I'm definitely old school. And I'd say if you haven't read a book recently, go and pick out any book. I'm one of these people who still use my local library. Yep, me too. Love it. <laughs> and so a lot of the times I will now wander around and just pick up anything from any section of the library rather than just limiting myself to just one particular author, one particular topic. I, I read as widely as possible. So I'm not going to pigeonhole anyone into saying, into thinking that they need to read a particular person or a particular book. But just experiment. You never know what you might discover if you open your mind and go out there and are happy to receive it. I love that suggestion.
0: An invitation to go to your library, go to a section that you never stop at and you perhaps always walk past and just pick a book at random and see what you make of it. That's a lovely suggestion. A great way of opening our eyes to things outside our, our normal habits. And finally, how can listeners connect with you after the podcast, if they'd like to find out more about the work
1: you do or get in touch professionally? So I do have a LinkedIn profile. Otherwise, look up the East Asian Lawyers Organization, and that's www.eastasianlawyers.org. There is a contact email there.
0: Wonderful. Thank you. And thank you so much for talking with me today. You've been a brilliant guest, and I've really enjoyed hearing your different reflections and perspectives and lots of wisdom that you've been sharing with me and with listeners today. Thank you so much for being part of the business of being brilliant. It's been great talking with you.
1: Thanks, Helen.
0: What a brilliant saying Sun Hee shared with us. The race is not always to the swift, but to the one who keeps on running. It might feel like we're in a constant sprint in our fast paced world of work, but we do need to look ahead to the long term. And it's a great reminder that we do have choices about our career, even if they might look limited or daunting at times. I loved Sun He's reminder that it's not up to anyone other than ourselves to decide what race we want to be in, how long we want to be racing for and where we want to be heading. Her open-mindedness and sense of curiosity really shines through in our conversation from being a knowledge omnivore to avoiding preconceptions and sweeping generalisations about people before she's taken the time to really get to know them. Her experiences of discrimination, reduced opportunities and fewer role models as a female East Asian working in predominantly white organisations where there are more men than women at senior levels are sobering. And her point that it's hard to call out these biased behaviours and assumptions when they occur behind closed doors is spot on. To tackle this, organisations need to look hard at their data about their pay gaps, progression gaps, and stay gaps, for example, to understand who is benefiting from and who is being disadvantaged by the decisions that are being made. Sunhee's trip down memory lane to the days when everything came by fax made me chuckle. I definitely remember endlessly waiting by a fax machine as it laboriously printed out a letter that somebody somewhere was painstakingly feeding into their fax machine, and then in those early days of remote access, when we were away on consulting projects, my colleagues and I would all huddle around the one analogue phone point, taking turns to download our emails. It was so painful and time consuming. What memories do you have of working with early technologies? What did you spend your time doing back in those days? Post or tweet your answers to me on social media. I'd love to hear. Right, I'm off to charge my phone and do battle with my family over who gets to use the fast charger. Then I'm going to pick a book at random off the bookshelf and be open to discovering something new. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you have, please do share it with friends and on social media and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts to help other listeners discover the podcast too. All the show notes are at helenbeadham.com forward slash podcast. Join me next week for another conversation about the business of being brilliant.